0: Well, thank you everybody it's an honor to be here we have a very solemn subject before us this morning so i'm going to pray again as well our dear heavenly father we thank you for your word lord which speaks life to us lord we thank you for what we read today lord and we pray that your word would speak to us lord we ask that your holy spirit be moving amongst us lord that you would pour your truth and your light into our hearts lord Lord, thank you. Thank you for the cross. And as we consider it this morning, Lord, I pray that you would convict us, Lord. And that you would cause us to look to you, to look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus was a man who came with a mission, we've been following his journey through the book of mark mark we've been following the path that he walked and it's very clear that he came with a purpose it's very clear when john the baptist first saw jesus he proclaimed he yelled out behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world behold the lamb of god jesus came with a purpose and it all pointed to this passage that we're reading today where he was lifted up on the cross, Jesus came with that mission, and he knew from the get-go that this is why he came. He knew. In Mark chapter ten, I think he um, first starts to tell the disciples what is coming to him. Uh, Mark, Mark chapter eight. So, Mark chapter eight, we had this amazing, amazing uh, passage which talks about Peter realizing who Jesus is. Uh, in verse 27 of Mark 8, it says, Jesus and his disciples uh, went on to the villages, and on the way he asked them, who do people say that I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Lots of people have lots of different opinions about Jesus. But Jesus says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers You are the Christ you are the Messiah And it goes straight on to say what Jesus says next Jesus wanted not to tell anyone about him yet and he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again he spoke plainly about this and later on he says to them again the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men they will kill him and after three days he will rise jesus knew what was coming he knew what was ahead of him in chapter 10 of mark a third time he predicts his death he took uh, in verse 32 it says he took the 12 disciples aside and he told them what was going to happen to him we are going up to jerusalem he said and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the gentiles who will mock him and spit on him flog him and kill him and three days later He will rise Jesus knew what was in store he knew what was coming but in verse 43 of that chapter he says "For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many in John we read about how Jesus said that he was like a shepherd the good shepherd he says the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Nobody takes my life from me. I give it up. I lay it down. We come to the garden of Gethsemane in chapter 14. Where Jesus has the the night before this moment is coming. This moment that he's come for. He, he prays in agony. In chapter 14 of Mark, we read, verse 34, that uh, Jesus began to be deeply distressed and troubled, and he prayed, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And he prayed to God, and he said, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Take this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. Luke 22 talks about the agony as he prayed, that he, his sweat looks like sweats, sweating drops of blood. His agony of what awaited, of what awaited the cup that he was about to drink, the cup of God's wrath poured out on all of humanity's sin. He's in the garden and he prays and he prays to God to take this cup away from him if possible. But nevertheless, not his will but God's will be done. And the soldiers come, the crowd comes in the night to take him away and there's this moment where it could all be stopped and Peter grabs his sword and he strikes one of the people and Jesus straight away says, stop, stop, put it back. Put your sword away shall I not drink the cup the father has given me that's what he says shall I not drink it he came for a mission he came for a purpose and when the time came he didn't shy away from it he told Peter could I not call on 12 legions of angels he could he could but he chose he willingly chose to fulfill the mission that he had come for. And it wasn't just about the pain and the suffering ahead of him. The cup that he was to drink was not just the, the pain and the suffering. When we talk about crucifixion, just to talk about one of the great evils that humanity has conjured up to, to, to I mean, I, 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 lo- I love history. I, I love reading history. I love the stories of of people from across time, the story of the courage and devotion and love we read across history, and yet it's inescapable, the evil within humanity. Every page you turn in the history books, you, you see more stories of atrocities, of barbarity, of just pure evil. And when you look at the crucifixion, what a way to kill somebody, anybody! Not, it's it's horrible. We we see it as the symbol now, the symbol of our faith. And yet, sometimes it takes away from the reality that this is what they did to people. And the reality of what they did to God's own son. But you notice in Mark and in all the Gospels, they don't dwell on the pain, they don't dwell on the suffering. They just say simply, they crucified him. Horrific. But they don't dwell on it. There's so much more happening here than just the pain and the suffering. And when I was meditating on this on this passage over the last few weeks, the big thing that suck out straight away and just was hammered in over and over was the absolute mockery that they did of Jesus. The absolute mockery. It starts with the trial itself. They bring false witnesses to accuse Jesus. They have a, a sham trial. And then, even at the, um, before the Sanhedrin, they blindfold Jesus and they hit him and say, Prophesy, who hit you? The mockery came thick and fast. And the passage that we have today starts with the mockery that Jesus said would well, come, the Gentiles would, I'll be handed over to the Gentiles and they will mock me. And what a mocking. We read verse 16 the soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium. they called together the whole cohort of soldiers a whole cohort would have been about 600 soldiers it's a large group of men they called them together to join in this parody this mockery that they're making of Jesus they treat Jesus like a joke They treat him like he's dumb, like he's a lunatic, self-deluded. And they play into it and they laugh it up and they make it into into a game, a bit of fun. They put a purple robe on him. And even this robe, one of the other Gospels says a scarlet robe. And that's really interesting because the Romans were given a scarlet robe as part of their, their uniform. But after many years... Those robes would start to fade. They'd get muddy. They'd get dirtied. They grab one of their old robes that's faded in the sun. It's like a purply, purply mottled color. And they put it on him, the color of royalty. So begins their mocking. And then they twist together a crown of thorns. Caesar would wear his gold, gold laurel. They gave him a crown of thorns, they crushed it onto his face. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. They gave him a reed as a scepter. And then they spat in his face and used the reed to slap him and punch him in the face. They spat on him, they hit him, and then they fell on their knees before him in mock homage, in mock worship, They mocked him relentlessly. Then they took off the purple robe, put his own clothes back on him, and they led him out to crucify him. And the mockery doesn't stop. Verse 29 those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, So, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, Come down from that cross, save yourself. And in the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. There's no sincerity there whatsoever. And those crucified with him also heaped insults on him a scene of blasphemy absolute mockery derision reviling of our precious Lord and Savior and when you look at it it makes you ask where is God in here as this is happening how are they getting away with this when you read Moses I was reading a bit of Moses to the kids just yesterday And you see these stories of how God is a holy God, not to be trifled with. When Korah leads a rebellion against Moses and he rises up against God himself, God comes with judgment and the very earth opens up and swallows up Korah and his band. The earth opens up and takes them away. When Elijah was mocked, and the king sent a band of soldiers to, to, to get him. Elijah called on God to send down fire. And fire came down and consumed the soldiers who had come to get him. Not once, but twice. And we look at these people, this scene of absolute, absolute mockery of Jesus. People spitting on the very face of God made flesh. And we go, where is the judgment? Where is God in this? How are they getting away with this? Why is the earth not opened up and swallowed them? Why has fire from heaven not come down? And this is what struck me as I was looking at this. It did. It did come down. The judgment that they deserved came down. But it didn't land on them. The fire came down, but it didn't land on them. The ones who were deserving The ones who were fully involved in their wickedness and spitting on the face of God, the judgment that they deserved didn't come down on them. It came on the sun. It came on Jesus. In that very moment as he was on the cross, darkness came across the land. The divine wrath and fury of God that these people deserve, that our wickedness deserve, it didn't come upon us didn't come upon them as they're there mocking and reviling the Son of God. It came on Jesus. It came on Jesus. He was on that cross. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. The judgment that we deserve. The wrath that we deserve. It was poured on Christ. What a saviour, what a saviour. They mocked him then, people still mock him now. Look at our God, look at our God, naked on a cross. What is this? It's foolishness to the Greeks, it's a stumbling block to the Jews, but to those who are saved it is the power and wisdom of God. Jesus bore our sins on that cross. Isaiah 53 says it so well, written hundreds of years before, the prophecy of the suffering servant. Isaiah 53, verse 4 Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. The iniquity of our soul—that's what happened here in this dark hour, this dark hour. And God, <laughs> Jesus on the cross, he cried out, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" A statement of absolute pain and anguish. He did on that cross a mighty work. A mighty, mighty work. When he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He quotes from Psalm 22, a psalm that speaks so fluently of what the experience that he's going through. A psalm that's written a thousand years before it happened. Some of the verses, let me read verse 6 of Psalm 22 I'm a worm and not a man scorned by everyone despised by the people all who see me mock me they hurl insults shaking their heads he trusts in the Lord they say let the Lord rescue him let him deliver him since he delights in him the mockery and verse 14 I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint My heart has turned into wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. A dog surrounds me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them. And cast lots for my garment. The psalm ends like this. It says in verse 30. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness. Declaring to a people yet unborn. He has done it. He has done it. And we know that that is what Christ yelled out on the cross just before he died. It is finished. In Mark we read, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The temple of the curtain that separated the Holy of Holies from everyone else was torn by God himself. From top to bottom. Jesus on the cross had taken the sins of the world upon himself. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. At three o'clock in the afternoon, right when they're sacrificing the lambs for Passover, the perfect lamb without spot, without blemish, the perfect lamb of God was killed on the cross. He died once and for all the perfect sacrifice and open up the way for god that we all in him might find salvation redemption righteousness the veil was torn and even in this scene of mockery and derision we see the hand of god working from the very beginning through the whole of it the thieves on the side of him they're joining in with the mockery mark says and let one of the thieves, even in this moment of crucifixion, he sees that Jesus is more than man. And he says, remember me when you go to your kingdom. And Jesus tells him, today you will be with me in paradise. Even the, a man who was at the scene blaspheming Christ right there to his face found salvation. And then we had the Roman centurion here who proclaims surely this was the son of god this was a man who directed all these proceedings he'd seen it all he'd been part of it all he would joined in it all and yet here he finds salvation he realizes this was the son of god and even the priests later on in acts when peter starts to preach to the church and the holy spirit is poured out we read that many priests believed on the name of Jesus as well. And in that first sermon, when Peter is preaching to them, he says, you crucified the King. You crucified the Son of God. And he says they were cut to the heart. Many of this crowd that had been there, that had mocked Jesus, they came to saving faith. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we look at the cross, we look at this scene, and we just know, we know the love of God. We see it in every aspect here. That Christ would come and give his life for us it's an amazing thing and let me just finish with 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 I quoted it earlier but I want to say the whole whole thing 2nd Corinthians chapter 5 verse 21 And just before, Paul writes and he says, We implore you, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's what I implore you today: be reconciled to God. Let God show you the power, the majesty, the glory of the cross. See not in it foolishness, but see in it the wisdom of God. And for those of us who have been redeemed, who have been saved, let us join with the host of heaven in saying, "Worthy is the Lamb who was slain." Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive honor and glory and praise. That is our God. That is our Savior. Amen.